Hi there. Thanks for checking out the New Life Speaker Podcast. All our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Lutheran Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. If you don't want to miss out on our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. The money goes towards the seven tradition and helps fund our meeting. You can find a link to this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. adjust this. That's all. You stand on your tippy toes. I don't really want to do that. Can everyone hear me? I don't. Okay, cool. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Sam. I feel very short right now with this podium, so I might kind of move a little bit. I don't want you to not hear me. Um, my sobriety date is April 6, 2010. I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor, and I am able to uh, sponsor women in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I currently am not now, but I have. Um, I'll gives me a, give me a second. I have to like adjust to the fact that I was sitting down and now I'm up here, and then my brain will remember when I'm here. Uh, I was not nervous when Dominic asked me to speak last on Sunday, and I've had several days to work myself up about it. So, uh, you know, I, I'll get into the swing of things. I enjoy having a microphone. Personally, I have lots of opinions, so it doesn't really bother me to talk in front of people, but it just, like, takes me a second to process what I'm doing here. And, uh, and I think I got kind of, it's been a while. I think I spoke here the last time was pre-pandemic. Uh, and so, you know, life feels very different now than it did three years ago. And, uh, all right, come on in. <laughs> I'm sure the podcast people will love to hear this commentary. Um, and it's, it's been hard to adjust to life, like, after the pandemic. And so, you know, I have told my story a billion times. I, like, it doesn't, I have no problem talking about myself, but adjusting to life after the pandemic, there have been so many changes in my life that sometimes I don't necessarily even feel like I, who I was the last time, like I did a speaking commitment this large, like so many things have happened. And when I used to tell my story, I used to focus like a lot on what it was like. And then like very early sobriety. And at this point, it's been 13 years of being sober. And uh, I haven't spent as much time talking about my life in sobriety. So I'm going to try to actually do that a bit more than I have. Um, and it's kind of hard. Like I, you know, the other, my story that I've told a billion times is like muscle memory. I have no problems with it, but it's been hard coming back to like in-person meetings after the pandemic was a really hard adjustment for me. And I, I really wasn't sure why, um, And, like, I forget that we've kind of all been traumatized, you know, with everything that's kind of been happening. And I've had people, like, come up to me and they're like, Sam, where have you been? And, you know, like, my life schedule has changed a lot in, like, the last three years. I was bouncing around. I didn't really, like, have a steady schedule of meetings. And, what, I, like, did trivia last Friday and then, like, Sunday I got asked to speak. So, like, that's what you get for putting <laughs> putting yourself out there. You have, like, a commitment the next week, um, which is good. It's good for me. It's very good. It is – being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous has done, like, amazing things for my life. And it has never gotten easier. Like, the work. The work to have, like, a fellowship, to, like, show up, to talk to people, like, to – continue relationships it has never ever gotten easier for me and and so it's hard every time you know something happens I kind of like disappear for a little bit I'm fine I have coping skills today but like coming back is always like work for me so um anyway after that preface uh I grew up here in Reading my entire like I've been here my entire life um I was I've basically been coming to some sort of fellowship since I was like two years old. My mom is in a different fellowship. 
So I've been coming to Atonement Lutheran like community center since I was like two. Um, you know, my sister came in and she was like, it smells the same. And I was like, it does. <laughs> they left the carpet up here. That's why they changed the carpet downstairs. But yes, it, it smells exactly the same. So like AA, like I knew 12 Step Fellowships were always here. They've always been a part of my life and I wanted nothing to do with them. Like I did not want to be here. I did not. I didn't want to be like my mom, first of all, of course. And like, I definitely did not want to need other people. Uh, and I, you know, I grew up just like always feeling like I did not fit, which I think so many people in AA have this feeling like that they, that they don't fit in, but like desperately wanting to, like desperately just wanting to be wanted around. And I think that has like triggered so many different moments in my life. It's just like wanting to be wanted and to want other people to have me there and choosing what I do. Like that's the whole thing that was hard about what do I share at this meeting? Because I'm all focused on like, well, what Sam do you guys want? Because like there's a story that I told a billion times. It gets lots of laughs. I know it's a good one, like lots of funny stories and everything. But like is that what people need? I don't know. I really don't know. So I'm just like hoping to say, you know, the right thing, but it, it really does not matter. Like I can't show up and be the person everybody wants me to be all the time. And it, it is really why I started, I started drinking. I mean, initially, you know, my first time I took a drink to get drunk, I was like 13, 14 years old. And I was just horrifically depressed. Like just, I felt I did not want to be here. I, didn't, I just had all of these deep feelings and I've always felt like too hard, like too much and had no way of expressing them. Like I just did not know how to express these feelings. And um, you know, I, my mom and dad like probably never should have had children. It's like, it feels like awful to say that, but it's almost like sometimes, <laughs> Sometimes it's almost like, uh, you know, like, like when you breed two dogs that you should not have bred, <laughs> like, <laughs> to get another dog, and you're like, you know, like, well, is it hypoallergenic? It's like, no, it's allergic to its own skin, because, like, that is how I feel, um, and I, I love my parents very much, but it is a miracle that I made it this far, and that I, like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> and, and that I'm like have any sort of like normal relationships with human beings you know because like my dad is definitely on the spectrum and has like never been diagnosed with it um which caused like a lot of issues because I probably am too you know and um and then my mom is just like distraught with him and his whatever and I act like him so it's like a problem so again, like spending a lot of time trying to not be the way that I am and like this is just the way that I am. I don't I don't know how how to do anything else. I learned a lot about how to show up in the way that made most other people comfortable. And I've spent the last several years trying to undo that. <laughs> because, you know, I wasn't comfortable and I did not feel comfortable being who I was and I didn't necessarily feel comfortable around like other people. I tried to explain to somebody like I learned about sports so I could have conversations with like men and customers when I was waiting tables, like to make money. I have no idea what's going on in sports. And personally, I don't care. But like to fit in, like that's an example, to fit in, to have something to talk about with people, I would like learn my, these things, like key phrases to say, you know, like, oh, who's playing today? And then they tell me and I'd be like, I have no idea who this is. <laughs> I learned a lot about baseball recently. Again, to have conversations with my friends. I have no interest in baseball. It seems kind of interesting, but it's, it's like not on my big like list of things to do. So when I started, when I took my first drink, I knew it was bad and it was bad for me. My mom is not an alcoholic, but like it is, addiction runs on both sides of my family. Um, something we never talked about on my dad's side of the family and I found out after like people died um, and like, you know, people have like all these little conversations. They're like, oh yeah, didn't you know her sister got drunk and fell down the steps and died? I'm like, no, I sure didn't know that. <laughs> but it explains a lot. 
Um, and then like, you know, my mom's family is Italian, like very loud Italian and like drinking is important. Like we had alcohol in the house, even though my mom didn't drink for other people. And I was like, you don't drink. Why do this? And she was like, for when other people come over. So again, I was like, oh, well, we have to do this for other people. It makes them comfortable. So we have it. So that's what I did. I went into the cabinet with all the alcohol that nobody ever looks at, and like, unless there's a holiday. And I mixed all of it in one cup, and I drank it because I didn't know anything about alcohol. But it seemed like what you would do. Uh, and it made me feel worse, but it also felt very scary. Like, this, this could be a thing that I, I used to, like, self-destruct. And I told myself I would, like, never drink again. And that lasted about until college. I didn't drink in high school. I used, like, other things, self-harm, like, eating disordered stuff just to like kind of have like some sort of control over these feelings that felt like all over the place and that like nobody else wanted to deal with. It was just like, you know, my mom is a counselor and she like still did not know what to do with me, like did not know what to do with like her child being just sad, just deeply, deeply sad. And uh, I'm an artist, so I made a lot of really messed up art. And, um, and I decided I was going to go to college for art because, I mean, like, honestly, I didn't really think I would live till I was, like, you know, older than 22 years old. Um, and I almost didn't, actually. So that was kind of, like, a, a good guess. Um, but I was like, yeah, I mean, like, this is the only thing I know how to do, really, is, like, make art. And maybe I could just, like, I don't know, become famous and just, like, live fast and die young and that seems like pretty punk rock and maybe I'll just do that and uh and so I went to college all of my friends in high school were drinking and they kind of like didn't want me around because I didn't I was like a was straight edge at a time when that was like a cool thing to be and it was still not that cool like people you know even though I did not care other people were drinking they still were like eh, like we don't really need Sam to be here and I wanted to be there I wanted my friends to want me to be there and uh, when I got to college and, again, it was like, you know, when people were coming home from whatever college they were at, that's what they did. They, like, drank. And I was like, okay, so, like, maybe we just forget all this straight edge stuff. And, like, yeah, this is going to be bad, but, like, let's just do it anyway, right? Uh, and so I drank for the first time with other people, like, not by myself in, like, a very sad setting um, at, like, a party. And it was fantastic. It was, like a light bulb went off. I felt like I didn't have to like put on this appearance, this act to have people like, like me. Um, I didn't have to necessarily like burn energy to be around people because that happens too. I just like, you know, I like people. I like my friends. I like socializing. And then I just like completely burn out from it. And I didn't need that with alcohol. Like, I was great. It was fun. And people wanted me to be there. But, like, I took it way too far, like, way too soon, you know? Uh, I can't, like, do anything, I guess, in moderation when it comes to, like, self-destructive behaviors. So it's like, you know, go to a party. And then, like, the next thing, you know, I'm, like, borrowing my roommate's rum to just, like, pour my coffee before class. Like, why? I don't know. Like, it just seemed like the thing to do at the time. And then it, like, slowly progressed you know, it didn't really, wasn't really slowly, to um, other substances that got me to that point of not feeling uncomfortable faster. And, um, you know, there's like a, another person involved in that part of the story, and I spent a lot of time talking about him. And, uh, you know, and a lot of, for a really long time, I know my family blamed him for my you know, my drug use as well, because like, where else would I have gotten it? You know, otherwise, I mean, I, it's not hard, you know, if you want to get drugs, you can get drugs. But yeah, I, I definitely probably wouldn't have been introduced to them as quickly, but almost, it's almost like, thank God, because I would really hate to like still be drinking at this point in my life. You know, I got sober when I was 21 years old. Um, it's been, yeah, I mean, I'll be 36. So I, I can't imagine like feeling the way I did when I ended up getting sober now, like for that long, it's just feels awful. It feels exhausting. Um, and so yes, like drugs were part of my story and, and they are what brought me down like very, very quickly. Um, I dropped out of school, moved out of my mom's house, 
um, you know, because I decided that I would much rather like use substances full time than go to school. It was like getting in the way of everything. <laughs> and um, and that's what I, I did all of the time, which led to criminal behavior. And um, I, I got actually caught. I stole my mom's credit card and uh, to get cash advances. And at first I thought I got caught, but I hadn't gotten caught. And so I checked myself into the psych hospital because uh, I thought maybe like it would go over better if I was like, oh, but I want to kill myself. Um, but then I ended up being in the psych hospital after my mom didn't know, <laughs> which is a very like the last place you want to be <laughs> when you don't have to be at the psych hospital. Um, and after that, when she did finally find out, they sent me to Karen and I was... 19 and at that time they only had adolescent and adult there was not like young adult and um I did not want to go but I really didn't want to go to jail which is pretty much what the cops told me they were like if you do this you won't go to jail and you won't have a felony that was a lie um it would have happened regardless but I was like fine I'll, I'll go and I'll do this and you know my boyfriend is like so mad that I'm going to do this but I just want like everybody off my case. I don't want to stop. Like I just, I want everybody off of my case so I can continue this like, you know, downward spiral. And I think I became like the first adolescent patient to escape from Karen, which I did a week after I got there during the chapel service. Um, and, but the scary thing is like, there was a point where I really wanted to be there. Like that, that is what's scary about my brain is that there was a point when I was there that I was like, oh God, yeah, like I feel this way. Like we're reading all the literature and I'm talking to people. Of course, I'm comparing myself out because I'm like, you don't know who I am, okay? Like there's somebody here who's addicted to weed and I'm like living in like a crack house, like shooting gallery and this feels ridiculous. But again, like I heard this message and I was like, I don't necessarily have to feel this way, but there's so much else going on and I'm not ready to stop. And I ran away, ended up going to jail for the first time not long after that. And when I was there, they recommended, I was probably there about like six or seven months. They suggested I go to um, transitional living afterwards. And I was like, I think I'm good. I just like don't pick up and I'm fine. I don't necessarily need to like go live someplace else. I'll be fine. And I drank the day I left jail. Like the day I got out of jail, I went and I drank. And then had all these friends from jail who I could, like, go with to go get the substances that I also would like to have. Um, and eventually I ended up on, like, a, on a maintenance program, a medication-assisted treatment program, because I, I didn't really want to be homeless. And I was living in the apartment I shared with my boyfriend at the time, and his mom was paying. And I was like, well, if she gets wind of this, because he's in jail now, and he's going to be there for a while, I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to have to, like, go back with my mom or something. So... Again, like I got on this, I got on medication assisted treatment and like went to the groups. But every time they said like go to AA, I was like, I'm good. Like I was pretty sure this was a cult. Like I grew up, you know, with my mom in another fellowship. And there's like all these people at our house all the time. And it's annoying. And I'd be nice to them. And she'll be like, so and so is coming over. So like let him in and, you know, get him something. Like I don't want to play hostess to your weird friends from like these rooms that you go to. I don't, it's like, why? Why? And also, like, you still seem messed up. So, like, it's not working. But, like, honestly, maybe it was. You know, like, I don't know what it would be like if she didn't have those people. And they were all very nice. But they're just in my house all the time. And I was, like, a teenager. And I just wanted to, like, be in my room. And I don't want anyone to talk to me. And I definitely don't want all these, like, very nice ladies, like, downstairs, like, oh, get out of here. <laughs> Ugh. And God, and, you know, like, my mom would say the serenity prayer to us when she was just annoyed with us. And so, for me, like, that's all it meant. I was like, ugh, the slogans, like, keep it, you know, it is what it is, Sam. I'd be like, mm, is it, though? Like, do we mm, let go and let God? I was like, okay, well, I'm good. I don't actually think God is real. So, uh, and so I didn't want to do this. And I stayed out of jail for about two years um, doing medication-assisted treatment until my boyfriend got out of jail and he ended up in the hospital for something. Uh, I have a heart arrhythmia and I ended up in the hospital and he decided it was like too much and he left and he left me there because he decided he needed to go have a drink. And I remember being like, oh my God, like what the heck? Like, why wouldn't you stay here with me for this of all things? Like why 
can't somebody be here? Because, like, really, that's the other thing. It's like, I feel like I've been an adult since I was, like, five years old. I've, I don't know what it feels like to be, like, a child. Like, my mom expected basically for me to be, like, the person that my dad should have been but, like, was not capable of being. And then, like, my dad, on the other hand, was, like, just kind of viewed us as, like, small adults. And it would be, like, and he's so out in his own world, it'd be like, I'd be doing homework, and he'd be like, all right, Sam, get in the car, we're gonna go look for crop circles. And I'd be like, I <laughs> do not want to do that. And that's what we did, you know? And it, it's like, there was no guidance there. And, and I just like wanted somebody to be there. Like, that's all I wanted. That's the whole reason I'm with like this dude who's clearly messed up, is like, I just want somebody to save me from myself and like hear me. And also, like, take care of me. Just, like, take care of Can somebody just take care of me? And, and nobody could. <laughs> and no one could. And nobody would. And if they tried, they didn't know what to do. And I didn't have the words for it. And so, you know, he left, and I went, and I had a drink, and it was, like, the first drink that I'd had in, like, a couple of years. Um, I think I actually did end up having a, one legal drink, like, when I turned 21. And I didn't want to because I was trying to not do anything, you know, besides like the medication I'm on. And my mom was like, well, your grandpa really wants to buy you your first drink, you know, at 21. And I was like, okay, but like, like I got out of jail like a year and a half ago. Like, do we really think that maybe he should not be buying me an alcoholic beverage? I mean, like logically, and they're like, well, Sam, it's not heroin. So yeah, maybe take the drink. <laughs> And I did. And it's like, you know, if I had had the sort of like self-awareness and ability to be like, yeah, this is like not okay. Like, I don't want to do this that I did not have then. Like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that probably would have been different in my life. And so I went right back to drinking and then other things again, you know. And what happened was eventually got to the point where I like did not want to do anything anymore. I just... I was so unhappy. I went to a detox facility, which is where I finally heard somebody from AA who made me think that maybe AA was not a cult and that maybe, because like she seemed kind of like not easily duped. Um, and she also had thought AA was a cult. And I was like, well, you're still here. But what the most important thing that she said was, I was so unhappy that even if it was like, who can, like anything had to be better than this. Like anything else had to be better than this. And I was like, oh, God. She was like, and so then she's like, I just drank the Kool-Aid. And you know what? That's pretty much where I was at. was like, yeah, anything is better than this. And I went, it's funny, I met with her after I got out of detox. And we went to Good Eats, which doesn't exist anymore. And she told me what I would have to do for her to be my sponsor. And I'm listening to her and I was like, oh, my God, I like this woman like so much. She's so nice and I'm such a screw up and I'm not going to stop screwing up. And I remember I went to the bathroom and I like looked at myself and I'm like a hundred pounds. I have like sores on my face. Like I probably had not washed my hair and God only knows how long. It is just like held up by copious quantities of bobby pins. And I looked at myself. I was like, we can't do this for her. I do talk to myself like plural third person a lot. Um, yeah. I was like, yeah, we, we, we can't do this to this woman. This like nice woman who just took us out to eat. Like we haven't eaten real food in a while. And I went out and I was like, you know, you are so nice and thank you so much, but I just don't think I can do this right now. And she was kind of shocked because I don't, she was like, yeah, most people don't say that. Like they just kind of were like, yeah, sure. And then like disappear. But I, I couldn't, like I just could not put her, you know, do this to her. And uh, later on, she told me that when I left, she was like, oh, she's going to die <laughs> like that. This is bad, you know, and she felt really awful. And I left and it was hard. It was hard to like, you know, leave. I couldn't stop. And I but I didn't want to keep using. And there was like this one point where I was like, you know, I either I just want, um, you know, God to either just like hit me with a bus, you know, like and I hadn't talked to God or any higher power for a really long time. It's like just either hit me with a bus or lock me up. Like I can't I can't do this anymore. And I had been breaking the law. So um, the very next day I got arrested, which was fantastic. Like I was thrilled, so thrilled. And that was my first spiritual awakening, um, as a sober person was getting arrested and everyone in central booking thought I was crazy. Cause I'm sitting there handcuffed, like, yes, it's over. It's over. It 
to be thrilled that like I'm about to go detox in jail is like a sad place to be. And that's where I was. And after that, I, I, it was hard. Early sobriety is hard. It's hard for everybody. It's hard. Um, but I, I tried to do the things that I did not do the first time when they suggested that I go to, you know, halfway house. I said, yes. When my boyfriend's mom asked if we should keep the apartment, I was like, no, get rid of that apartment. Like, <laughs> I want nothing. I, I need to have nothing so that I can do this. I essentially made myself homeless so that I, you know, could not go back to the only thing that I knew how to do. And I was, yeah, I turned 22 in jail. So I was 21 when I got arrested, turned 22 in jail. And I was living in a halfway house when most of my friends were going to graduate school, which was like awesome. I mean, like I did not even finish college. I felt very bad about myself. Like this was my life. It's so funny now, like thinking back, like I was 22 years old. I mean, like, and to me, it felt like everything was over at that point. Like, there was no way to come back from this and that everybody knew. Most people were just happy that I was not dead and that I was not robbing people anymore. Like, that's all they wanted. Um, And I lived at Easy Does It. That's where I ended up going. They told me to stay, that I should stay for two years. And I said, thanks, I'll stay here for six months. And I ended up staying there for almost two years. Um, So there there you go. And a couple things happened when I was there. For one, I mean, like, I started going to meetings regularly. Um, The woman who I had met with, I asked her to be my sponsor, and she sponsored somebody else in the house. And so she was like, yeah, I can't do that. And I was like, well, I'm not going to let anybody else sponsor me except for you. Like a threat. Like, like it does not affect her at all. But I was like, I was like, it can only be you. Like, I don't trust anybody else. And I tried to sponsor myself. Don't recommend it. Um, And I tried to let, like, other people. uh, I had another person who tried to sponsor me. And we ended up, like, kind of just being friends. And we just, like, hang out Barnes & Noble and drink coffee and, like, maybe look at the book. And at one point I was like, yeah, this isn't, like, working. Like, nothing's happening. And um, I was still – I was still see – I was still, you know, in a relationship with this guy. And he's like, you sound just as miserable as you did when you were using. Just not sticking needles in your arm anymore, Sam. Like, you're still the same, like, messed up person. And I was. I was still so – angry, so like frustrated, had no idea like who I was or what I wanted to do with my life. And like, you know, I had no solution at the time. And uh, eventually that was bad enough that the woman who lived in my house said to her sponsor, who's her name's Lisa, um, said to Lisa, you have to sponsor Sam because she's like a disaster. She is a mess. I need you to do this for me. And Lisa was like, fine, okay, like, you're the one who said not to because you didn't want me to sponsor somebody else who you lived with. She's like, oh, yeah, no, like, somebody needs to do something. And if you're the only one who she'll let do it, please just sponsor this girl because she's a mess. And um, I had my first year, my one-year anniversary, I had not gone through the steps yet. And, um, and a girl who I had lived with at the house who I would gotten close with had moved out. Um, and... Um, and she called me up one day and, or she didn't call me. She texted me. She's like, Hey Sam, do you, is there any mail for me still up there? Uh, I don't have any gas. I can't get up there. And I was like, "Ugh, that sounds bad. It sounds like maybe you're like back out there. I don't like the sound of that. And like a half an hour later, she called me. And when I answered, it was not her, it was her brother. And, uh, and he's like, Hey Sam. And I was like, yeah, what? And he's like, I just need you to know that Amanda's dead. And I was like, oh, we were just talking like half an hour ago. He's like, yeah, I just came home. She's dead. Um, and she wasn't officially dead yet. Uh, she was on, she was brain dead. She was on life support. And I ended up going to her funeral on my one year anniversary. And I went to see her in the hospital before they pulled the plug on her. And it's still like a very traumatizing experience. Um, and probably one of my other spiritual awakening moments Um, is to, like, see a person who you, like, love who obviously had no plan of, like, dying. Um, I would, like, try to explain. I'm like, she had just dyed her hair. She had, like, that ring of dye around her hair. So, like, I knew it wasn't like she was trying to take herself out or anything. And machines are breathing for her. And I've never, ever had anybody die from this disease before. And that was my friend, you know, and she's not there. And, um...
Everyone told me I shouldn't go. But I went because I needed to know that I couldn't use again. I needed to know there was... I didn't necessarily have reservations, but I didn't trust myself, like, at all. I, like, was terrified that I have all these things I was acquiring from being sober that I would, like, pawn them. Again, like, as soon as I got out of here, that I'd, like, go back to my boyfriend and I would just, like, you know, ruin my life all over again. I had no faith in myself. And that, oh, sorry, podium. That changed in that moment. And um, it's funny because the last time I spoke here, I, like, talked about, like, her fam- one family member said to me, like, use this. So that, like, you know, use this moment to stay sober for her. And um, weirdly enough, it was her cousin. Her cousin was here, like, the last time I spoke and I told that story. And it was, like, I hadn't seen her. It was, like, in nine years. I don't even know why she was here that moment, in that, that day. Um, but she was. And... Um, I like th- I think about her every year on my anniversary because it's like three days before it. been 12 thank you it's been 12 years this all happens thanks I I know that like I would not be here if it were not for that moment. I've had a lot of people die since I've been sober. This one like still gets me every time. Because we were a lot alike. And she left to go take care of her brother um and to work she like worked a bunch and she was like trying to take care of her family. And like And I knew, like, that's what I do. Like, I never take care of me. But I will, like, jump through hoops to take care of other people. And it terrified me. Because, like, she really thought she had it, you know? And, I mean, like, she had a sponsor. Like, she had been. There's. (coughs) Being sober, like, this long at this point is, like, having a lot of survivor's guilt sometimes. And I just don't. I don't know why some people get it, some people don't. I really, I really have no idea. Um, I ended up working in the field. I'm just going to jump out of that story and just like, a lot now. I worked in the field of addiction by accident. Um, I was serving table. I was, I was waiting tables. I ended up getting a job as soon as I left EDI as a house manager at the Y on the women's floor. Um, so I literally was probably out of treatment, like, or out of transitional housing for, like, a month before I went to work in transitional housing, which is, like, a very, it's very weird to be on the other side of things. Um, I learned a lot about boundaries by doing that because, you know, you go from, like, those people being, like, your peers to, like, kind of having to be in charge um, or, like, you know, you can't be on their side um, for some things. And I'm really grateful for doing it because it, it, like I said, it's hard for me sometimes to like stay involved in like community stuff. Like I, I don't know. I, I got invited to like dinner tonight and I was like, listen, I already have a group meal today with somebody else like for work. I can't do two group meals in one day. <laughs> it's like a lot of peopleing. And then to like come and tell my story, that's too, it's too much. Like we cannot do it. Um, and, and so, like, that's the thing. But, like, I was forced to be around early sobriety at, you know, at my job. I had no plans to work in addictions. In fact, I was like, yeah, that sounds awful. But I had, you know, left the, you know, we're a mess. <laughs> like, it's, to be around early recovery people, like, who, like, that's where they live. It's a lot. Um, but I had moved out, and I was, I ended up leaving 
the old boyfriend um, at some point, which is, I'm not getting into, but I ended up in a relationship with another person and we, we ended up moving into an apartment together. And all of a sudden, like I had way more bills than I did when I was living in transitional housing. So even though I was waiting tables, I was like, I kind of need a second job. And so I took the job, you know, um, and I don't think I expected to be good at it, but I was. And um, I ended up working uh, in drug and alcohol for like eight years uh, after that and leaving food service at some point. Um, I went back to school, not because I really knew what I was going to do with a fine arts degree, um, but because like I wanted to make it up to myself. But uh, before I, I went back to like a four-year school, I went to Iraq and accidentally got my associates in addiction studies because when I had gone to Iraq earlier, when I tried to like get clean the first time I got out of jail, I took all the addictions classes because I knew all the answers. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I like psychology, but only abnormal psychology. <laughs> the rest of it, like the statistics and stuff are so boring, but like I want to hear about the weirdos. So I, I took additions because I knew all the answers and because I could just talk about myself. And mm, <laughs> yes. And so by the time I graduated from RAC, they were like, yeah, you need like one more class and you can have like not just a liberal arts degree. You could have an addictions studies degree. And I was like, yeah, but I don't want to like do this long term. They're like, I mean, why not? Just, like, take this sociology class. And I was like, okay, sure. So I did. And that's how I accidentally got a degree, in, an associate's degree in addiction studies. Uh, and then I went and I was like, well, I do think, like, I like psychology and I love art. And I will not make any money as an artist. So maybe art therapy is the way to go. So when I went back to Kutztown, which is where I, I went the first time, and the second time, and eventually a third time, um, I I went back for fine arts as my major and psychology as my minor. And, um, and that was the plan. Like, I didn't want to stay in additions forever, but like, obviously like helping people because I'm an adult child of, of like a dysfunctional family and I'm an oldest daughter. So I love helping people. Um, it's all I know how to do. And, um, and I wanted to do that like for myself though. Like I needed to go back and be like, I, I left here I can't believe they let me back because I was not allowed to live on campus at one point. I was like not allowed near the campus at one point. Um, and I, I like, I never expected to graduate college in the first place. So like my first, my associate's degree was like a big deal. It was like a super big deal to end up with like my bachelor's degree at the place that I abandoned basically. Um, and was like welcome back with like from professors that I did not think would have remembered me like with open arms like just so happy to see me. Um, meanwhile, I also um, I left the women's program at the Y and helped open up Camp Joy in Leesport, and uh, and worked with men. And I worked with men for like a while. I bounced around through like a bunch of different like addiction jobs, inpatient. Um, I ended up doing that because. <laughs> Um, around like six years sober, I had left the relationship I was in that I had the apartment with and ended up living above, uh, the restaurant where I also worked part-time and, uh, the Tomcat cafe. So if anybody remembers like the wicked fire that broke out, um, God, about like six or seven years ago, I was living in the building at the time. And so I ended up like six years sober, totally homeless again, which is like such a fun experience. Um, to, like, I just graduated, got my bachelor's degree, I'm, like, about to restart my life again, and uh, this fire just, like, breaks out, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting in the parking lot of, like, the church next door watching, like, the building on fire with my dad. <laughs> like, we're just sitting there in chairs. I managed to get one of my cats out. She's sitting in my car, like, meowing at me. My other cats, I had no idea, like, what, we're just, like, here. And I just, like, watch everything go up. And end up having to move back in with my mom, which is, like, not ideal. So, like, had this traumatic experience and then have to go move back in with my mom, who didn't seem to understand that I had had, like, a traumatic experience uh, and would just be like, get out of bed. <laughs> Maybe you should exercise. You'll feel better if you would go outside. Um, and I ended up leaving the why where I had worked for years to go work up at Karen because uh, I needed to be able to like basically make more money. And it was hard 
it was hard to leave a place. Like, it's hard for I don't do well change, okay? Like, I had been at the Y for a while. And I ended up working there um, at Karen and for, like, eight months, which gave me, like, a chance to meet other young people. Like, I did not want to go to work at Karen, okay? Like, at all. Um, a lot of sobriety has been me doing things that I really did not want to do and finding out that I really didn't know any better. Um, and... A lot of my life in recovery has been rebuilding my life over and over again. And it's exhausting. Um, I am so grateful for this program. I'm so grateful to like have steps and like a way to not feel the way that I did. I've done these steps a bunch of different ways. Um, and they've... They've given me a chance to not necessarily need to be any particular way. <laughs> for other people, um, if that makes any sense uh, at all. I, I grew up in this program. Like, I've grown up in this program. At this point, I feel like a teenager again. Like, that's how I've, I've tried to explain it. I was like, I feel like I am, like, 14 years old again. So I spent, like, 13 years in AA. And I'm, like, at this very weird point that happens every couple of years um, where I feel very uncomfortable in my with how things, how I'm going, which usually means that, like, there's work that I need to be doing, right? Like, that's usually what happens. It's the same thing that happened, like, my first year. I was miserable and uncomfortable. And, um, you know, my sponsor was like, you should probably do a four-step. And I was like, um, mm, I do not think I would like to do that very much. Um, and I did actually like doing part of the four-step. And that was writing down everybody who ever wronged me. That part was exciting. In fact, I carried paper around and wrote down every time somebody annoyed me. Now, that sucks because you have to write about every single person that you wrote down. But nobody told me that the first time. And so I just had, like, bank statements with, like, little notes in a binder of things. And um, I did not... I have not, I don't do it that way anymore. <laughs> Please don't do it that way. Um, doing my first four step did make me feel better in some ways um, because I, a lot of people don't like to know when they make a mistake. You know, like I definitely didn't. I don't like constructive, or I didn't like constructive criticism at one point. Um, but I realized that if I knew those things, I could change them. <laughs> and with like that ignorance of not knowing what my part was in all of these things of my life. Like, you know, I loved being a victim. I really did. I loved thinking that everybody else wronged me. And I um, loved thinking that my life was harder than everybody else's and that nobody understood me. Like AA showed me that like everybody, like lots of people felt the way that I felt, even though we were all very different. And that a lot of my problems were of my own making. And the nice thing about the steps is like, I get to learn what those are. Um, and then I get to work on them and it is work. It is, you know, I never felt like, oh, thank God after I did like a fourth, fifth and sixth step, because like, you know, first time I have it all laid out here, like, girl, this was your fault. A lot of this was your fault, man. Like this is nobody else's fault. Like it wasn't some hand you were like dealt like this is you know, and a lot of that is I didn't necessarily have people to show me how to live my life. Like, I didn't know how to be an adult. I didn't know how to be a woman of grace and dignity. I didn't know how to be a good friend. I didn't know how to be a good sister. I didn't know how to be a good daughter. Like, I didn't know how to do any of those things. Did not have anybody show me how to do those. I learned those things in AA. Like, I learned those things from other women who had been sober for much longer than I had. And I learned a lot of it by being really uncomfortable. <laughs> like, allowing myself to be really uncomfortable. And, and so that's why, like, lately, when I, I, you know, it's hard for me to, like, get back out. It's hard for me to, like, show, do, like, I would never have done a trivia. Like, Jen knows. I hate committees. Like, I think committees are the worst. And I asked her if I could be on the committee afterwards, right? Because, and it's funny, because, like, you know, and, and Richie comes up to me. He's like, oh, Sam, I am. So good to see you. Uh, you know, 
well, you know, why'd you do that? And I looked at Richie, I was like, because if I don't, I'm going to die, Richie. And like, that's not a lie. Like, I, I say it as a joke, kind of, because I only know how to like deflect with humor as a coping skill. But I'm deadly serious. Like, if I don't show up, if I don't do these steps, if I don't tell you that I'm uncomfortable, that this has not gone any way that I had originally planned this speaking to go either, by the way. If I don't, if I don't share those things about how, you know, AA is hard. Like, I, I loved the people who told me, like, this is not going to be easy. I loved the people who talked about things when they were upset, when they were angry, um, you know, who were mad that they had to do work, like, that they had to do these things. The people who were, like, very honest about it. Um, because then I knew that, like, it wasn't a cult. Like, it's not a cult. Okay, like, cults, like, sugarcoat a lot of stuff. All right, that's the Kool-Aid bit, you know? There is no Kool-Aid in Alcoholics Anonymous, just like very awful bitter coffee, which I love. <laughs> I do actually kind of love. Um, there, there is none. And, and that's why I knew like this worked. Like my first year sober, I stayed sober out of spite because people were like, yeah, if you do all the work, you know, if you do these steps, blah, 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 and you're from, like, you can leave. And I was like, and I can because they're wrong. And they weren't. Nobody was wrong. I felt better. It was unfair. <laughs> you know, it. It's like when people, you know, like you have to do, do the work. Um, and I've had a number of different sponsors over the years and they've all like come at the right moment of my life, you know, with whatever, what I actually needed. Like I needed my first sponsor because she was just like, ugh, a brush, you know, she like loved me unconditionally in like a way that I, I like was not used to, um, like warm fuzzy, you know, like super warm fuzzy and not in like a, you know, she called me grasshopper. She talked to me like the karate kid. Uh, and my second sponsor had, was just like, she was great also, but we were like very good friends and it just like didn't work out. And I've, I've had the same sponsor for the last couple of years. And it's funny because I don't, I don't really know why, like how we ended up together. I do, actually. It was because she, she didn't love God, and neither did I. And um, I have since developed my own higher power, okay? But, like, it's hard when you're, like, an agnostic in AA sometimes. Um, but, like, you know, the dude, that's my higher power. The, the dude put her in my life for a reason, and she has been there for quite some time. And I really would not, like, be here. doing this having like friends and family and like all those things if it weren't for these people like friends that I've met in AA because like I fit here you know and it's like a weird thing to say like for the place that I did not want to end up is that like I do I fit here I found like a new family that I you know did not necessarily have of like my own like not that my biological well, clearly my sister's here like she loves me okay but like she understands where I'm coming from some days but like I wouldn't have these things if I didn't do things that were uncomfortable like if I did not do the uncomfortable things and so um yeah, it's been like a really rough couple of months. Um, my dad is dying. Like, it feels weird to say that. My dad is dying. Um, and so I've been showing up again. Like, really trying. Listen to me cry on the podcast, guys. Like, Jesus. I tried to get out the crying up beforehand. It didn't happen. Like, I could not cry. It's, it's, it's sucked. It's been like a really rough couple of months, like, worst summer ever. I looked at a timeline I wrote where I wrote, like, worst summer ever when I was, like, 18, and I was like, that summer was amazing compared to this <laughs> summer. Oh, my God, why? Because I, like, worked at Dairy Queen? God. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, like, Jesus Christ. So dramatic. <laughs> you know, like, 
I tried sitting in the hospital like your dad has brain cancer. Okay, Sam, like please go make a blizzard. <laughs> but yeah, like this is where I come when things are hard. These are the people who know what I need, even if it's not like what I want to hear. It usually isn't what I want to hear, and it probably isn't what I really want to do. But it like really hasn't failed me <laughs> in the last thirteen years. It hasn't. Believe me, if it had, I would tell you. <laughs> it it hasn't. And so I'm really grateful. I'm sorry that I just, like, cried in front of everybody for, like, half an hour. That's embarrassing. <laughs> I wish Caitlin were here. <laughs> she was so proud. She loves to cry. Um, <laughs> but I am. I'm really, I'm really grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, I'm grateful to have, like, a power that's greater than me that, you know, puts things like this in my way, so I have to do them. Um, I could be miserable if I really wanted to. That's the thing. Things are awful, but I'm not miserable. Like, I've been much more miserable with, like, dumber things happening. And I know what to do, and I know how to show up, and I didn't expect that. And so, like, yeah, there is, like, a miracle. I don't really know what it is or why. But it does. It does work. Um, and yeah, I'm done. I gotta. I gotta get up away from here. <laughs> Thanks for letting me share. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speaker Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through the Seven Tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link in the description below, or they can also be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified when we upload a new episode. Thanks for listening.